Our reading for today is the second chapter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, in this chapter, Paul reminds the Corinthians of the circumstances that surrounded the first time he came to them and preached the gospel to them. Uh, it's, a, it's a relatively short chapter. Uh, it's only 16 verses. Um, but there are certainly some noteworthy truths to consider in it. So let's take a look at a couple of them. And the first one has to do with evangelism and the sovereignty of God. Evangelism and the sovereignty of God. In the early part of this chapter, there's a very real recognition of the sovereign work and power of God in evangelism. In an effort to assure them of his genuine apostleship, he does it by reminding them that a church now existed in Corinth, not because he, Paul, was an apostle or was such uh, an, an eloquent and persuasive preacher, but because despite his weakness in speaking, God moved powerfully through him. The first thing he does is to remind them that when he came and preached to them, it was not, as verse 1 says, with lofty speech or wisdom, or as vor verse 4 says, with plausible words of wisdom. So if Paul's preaching was so weak and powerless in his own estimation, how did it bear fruit in Corinth? Paul said it was simply, according to verse 4 and 5, a demonstration of the Spirit and the power of God. He preached the gospel and trusted God with bringing about the results. J.I. Packer, as many of you well know, is one of my favorite theologians, and he wrote a book called Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God that I highly, highly recommend to you. And in that book, J.I. Packer is exactly right when he says, quote, it is not right when we regard ourselves as responsible for securing converts and look to our own enterprise and techniques to accomplish what only God can accomplish. End quote. This, as it was with the Apostle Paul, is incredibly motivating to do evangelism. We know that God has commanded us to be about his business of evangelism. That's the Great Commission, Acts 1-8, so many other verses. But we often, every time I go out, every time I try to, every time I make an attempt to share the gospel, I feel so incredibly inadequate for the task. This, that, that feeling of inadequacy would be paralyzing to me without the assurance that it is God who works his will through our faithfulness, not our eloquence, but our faithfulness. Our job is simply to be faithful. Consider one last quote from J.I. Packer in that same book, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God. He says, quote, Paul's confidence should be our confidence too. We may not trust in our methods of personal dealing or running evangelistic services, however excellent we may think them. There is no magic in methods not even in theologically impeccable methods. When we evangelize, we must be, we, 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 our trust must be in God who raises the dead. He is the almighty Lord who turns men's hearts and he will give conversions in his own time. Meanwhile, our part is to be faithful in making the gospel known. Sure, that such labor will never be in vain. This is how the truth of the sovereignty of God's grace bears upon evangelism, end quote. Well, let's think about, about one more truth before we wrap up shop today. And that is, what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? 
the chapter ends with uh, that well-known phrase, um, the, ha- the having the mind of Christ. And so you see that in in verse sixteen. For we, for who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's the, the last words of the chapter. And I've heard I, I've heard many pray, and I've prayed myself that someone or a group of people might have the mind of Christ as they consider a matter or make an important decision. But what are we actually praying when we use that phrase? Uh, To answer that question requires that we understand what Paul means, obviously, by the phrase. What does Paul mean when he says, uh, we have the mind of Christ in verse 16? Um, Whenever we ask a question like this in our study of the Bible, by the way, we should never simply say, well, I think it means this, or I think it means that. Rather, we, we want to know what does God mean by it, and to do that, we should always look carefully at the surrounding context of the verse. Um, because God didn't just drop words on a page. He dropped sentences and paragraphs and, <laughs> and, 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 and whole conversations that, that give meaning to any particular one sentence. So beginning in verse 6, Paul talks about wisdom that he preaches, wisdom that is revealed through the Spirit, verses 6 and 10. Uh, this wisdom is something imparted in words, verse 13. The main emphasis of this wisdom and these words is the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ, verses 7 through 9. You put all those pieces together, and it's clear that in the mind of Paul, this wisdom that he's talking about is the wisdom and word of God contained in the Scriptures, the main focus of which is the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. On this basis, it seems to indicate that having the mind of Christ is having a mind that is filled with the Scriptures, with the wisdom of God contained in them. The mind of Christ is not some mystical state of mind, but a very real state of mind that is achieved by filling it daily with the gospel and the word of God. Those are a couple of thoughts from 1 Corinthians chapter 2.